Hello and welcome to the Elder Tree podcast. My name is Twiggy Dawn, founder of the Elder Tree and Alcamilla Herbals. You are listening to the Herbal Educators segment, where each new moon I will be inviting a series of guests to chat about the world of herbal education, about their passions and motivations, and their dreams for the future of herbal medicine in Australia. Stephanie Hazel is a herbalist, anthropologist, teacher, and also runs the Sacred Herbalism segment of this podcast. She has a broad scope of experience, which has led her to share her embodied teachings about sacred plant medicine, both online and in person. Stephanie is dedicated to reawakening in others a sacred relationship with plants, their own bodies and the living world. In this episode, Stephanie shares her journey of learning with a Peruvian curandera about how to relate to plants in a sacred way and to listen to their wisdom. She shares insight into her influences derived from a long-standing personal and professional relationship with Jimmy Wollumban and also with the Happy Herb Company. She shares her message about always coming back to listening to the plants and attuning to their message. Stephanie is a personal friend of mine and I consider her a great ally in the herbal grassroots movement in Australia. Listen on to tune into her innate wisdom. Hi, Steph. Thanks so much for joining me here on the herbal education segment and jumping out of your own beautiful sacred herbalism segment to come in here with me today. Thanks, Twiggy. It's um, a, a novel experience. It's exciting and a bit nerve-wracking to be on this side of the microphone. So <laughs> let's see what we discover. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful. I've, um, it's really interesting in re- retrospect how much you've woven in and out of my life. I've been reflecting recently how uh, just like 10 or 12 years ago, I was working for the Happy Herb Company and you were writing so much of the material for the Happy Herb Company and sending out emails to all of our staff and um, and then reflecting on meeting you in your beautiful herbal medicine stall at the Earth Frequency Festival and then, um, yeah, and then coming upon you finding a postpartum herbal medicine offering online and being like, holy moly, who is this woman? I need to contact her. And, and then the beautiful way that that's like evolved into you being being in this podcast and then the beautiful way that's evolved into a wonderful friendship. So yeah, I um I really uh, I really admire and respect and appreciate your way of working with the herbs, and I look forward to getting to present this um, the education element of of your herbal offerings to our listeners, so they get to know you a bit deeper on that level, because uh, I really respect the way that you teach. So yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Twiggy. Yeah, it's um it's cute to weave through so many different phases of life and just touch someone superficially and then to land in this place and be really working together quite deeply. It's yeah. Special. Mm. Yeah. One of um, your recent online courses that I attended the five plants for mood and mind was like incredible. It was, I've done a lot of online learning with a lot of different teachers and it stood out among them all as like the most mm-hmm. inspiring online way of, of holding a class and holding a group. And yeah, it's a really, really beautiful. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for inspiring me. And um, yeah, so I'm going to get on with things. I know that you know the way 
you know, what I like to kind of unravel with people that I interview on here. And so I would like to start where I normally do, which is just to find out a bit about your um, experience of being a student with herbal medicine, what your biggest um, influence has been, um, teachers, books, um, classes, courses, anything like that, that you feel to share that's shaped who you are now. Interestingly, the first book that opened my eyes to healing was a Reader's Digest book. I don't remember Reader's Digest called Foods That Harm, Foods That Heal that got accidentally delivered to our house. It got like misaddressed and I was a bit about 15 and it was this really basic A to Z, like A for apples and C for cola and it was telling you know, all the things all the nutrients that apples have and why that's really good and all the reasons why refined sugar is bad and, you know, vitamin C in oranges and vitamin C is good for colds. And I remember starting to read it after dinner and sitting on the kitchen bench until 2am reading this book cover to cover, I would have been 15. I was just mind blown, like, oh my goodness, of course, the things we eat, they affect our health and herbs and fruit. And it was this really pivotal moment. It's quite funny to think of a misdirected Reader's Digest book. Uh, And then I would say I definitely was really interested in herbal medicine and natural medicine. My mum used to take me to naturopaths and Chinese doctors as well. But a really pivotal moment that I have actually spoken about once on the podcast before was when I was traveling in South America when I was 21. I spent a year backpacking around South America on my own. Um, Well, I did fall in love along the way. So then with my Argentinian boyfriend at the time um, and I had the amazing experience of staying for a few months in the Sacred Valley in in Peru. So it's near Cusco and it's quite a potent place. I mean, it's called the Sacred Valley. Uh, And I met a woman called Doris just by chance. And she was a Peruvian woman, I'd say about 50, and she called herself a plant witch. And she worked really deeply with the coca plant and also with um, San Pedro. And so I spent some time, just a few weeks with her. And... I, you know, did what all good herbal apprentices do. I sat in the sun and I peeled meters and meters and meters of spiky San Pedro cactus, mm-hmm. <laughs> not really knowing much about it, you know, absorbing it through my skin and had some experiences with that plant then. And also she was taking me for these like long walks through the countryside under the full moon in the daylight and just talking to me about the plants. And she had this such a potency to her and such a groundedness in the way that she move through life and such a feeling of resonance with the land around her you know she was 50 she lived she slept on a sheepskin she had no power and she could have she could have afforded those things but she was choosing to live you know she was saying it's really important in the morning that the first thing you do is go and pray to the fire by lighting the fire because you really want your cup of tea (laughs) like that's how we make these things part of our lives you know Mm. that was one of my jobs when I was staying with her is to get up first and go and as she calls it pray to the fire you know like get this fire going to a point that it would be able to cook food and things on it and that was um really powerful and I actually regret not staying longer with her there was an invitation for that but there were other things happening in my life that were felt more compelling at the time um but then when I left she sent me off with like some capsules of cactus she really was into microdosing. I didn't even have language around that at that point like it wasn't something we spoke about and so then I spent time like traveling through the mountains working with the cactus plant and that 
really opened my ability to perceive the plants. And I had this experience of the plants around me being interested in me and wanting to talk to me and having a sense of what their medicine was and going into a market and picking up bunches of herbs and then just being the right herbs for what I needed in that moment. You know, this memory of walking into the Quechua market with really bad period pain, walking up to the like amazing indigenous plant seller and she had this table full of herbs and there was you know, I just was like that herb and we kind of managed to mine what I needed and it was exactly the right herb, you know. And so for me, that that's, I think, set off my sense of relationship and collaboration with plants. Mm. And when I came back from that travel, I was kind of hooked, if you will. Like I, I got a job with um, Happy High Herbs in Brisbane, so the Happy Herb Company, and started just like reading everything I could. And yeah, so that was a really powerful experience. And I think that i kind of pushed that aside a bit because it was quite nebulous and, you know, outside of the realm of what I understood to be true. But I can really feel how the way that Doris was working with the plants and introduced me to the plants has influenced the way that I'm now teaching and creating spaces for people to have those more direct, subtle relationships with plants. So, yeah, just that just came to me a couple of days ago. I was like, oh, yeah, that actually has looped back in in a really big way. I think um, Matthew Wood has been really influential. So his mm. books were you know, are amazing and the way that he is so specific with his herbal medicine, having the homeopathy background as well. He's so um, – the way that he speaks of specific indications to me really has always been really – a light bulb moment for a lot of those plants and that sense of actually understanding them beyond just, you know, their five actions, but actually behind, you know, this is what this herb is really doing. And I love the way he speaks about that and the tissue states. Another really big influence in my life has been my friend, Jimmy Wollumbin. So he is a herbalist, also an acupuncturist, and we lived um, in the same small village for many, for maybe about six years and we worked together for eight years uh, and he's just a brilliant medical thinker. He's so good at integrating Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, ancient Greek medicine, Western scientific ways of understanding the body and weaving them together in in a way that really makes sense and brings so much insight. So lots and lots of conversations with him over the years. And also uh, I did some of my uh, internship clinic work with him in his clinic oh, about eight years ago now. So that's all been, he's been a really profound teacher and influence the way I think about healing mm, but mm. as far as formal education I studied at the Southern School of Natural Therapies that then became, <coughs> it then became Think College and I, you know it was quite disappointing to be honest I did most of it online because I was living rurally at the time and would come to Melbourne for intensives um yeah, it was, it was, I was fairly disappointed. I didn't feel like I left with a whole bunch more wisdom about how to be a good herbalist than I went in with. Mm. And I feel that the things and the skills that I really have to offer people now have been things that I've cultivated through my own hard work and these other influential, amazing people that have crossed my path. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear all of that, actually, because now I get so much more of a sense of understanding of how like the, your teaching style when I hear all of those, um, you know, those 
with Jimmy Willumba and, and David Hoffman and then your, your teacher in South America, it all kind of makes sense, you know, the, my experience of, of being a student in your class. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. And that's a beautiful <laughs> depth of, of face-to-face um, and distance learning because we can't always have, you know, the teachers that we want aren't always physically available and that's the beauty of books and, you know, online spaces when we can get to mm. have those, um, those influences as well. It's actually another another book that has been really influential that I think is oh, I don't know how well known it is. It is this one. It's by Peter Holmes and it's published in the eighties and it's called The Energetics of Western Herbs. It's mm. I think if my house was burning down and I was running out, that would be like the first thing I would grab because it's out of print now. It's, a, it's mm. two books, right. and he was one of the first people who started to apply an energetic language lens coming from an uh, Eastern medicine perspective onto the use of Western herbal medicine. And actually, Jimmy had a copy of this book, and I remember reading it and just being like, "It's just so." it's so incredible and invigorating for me to be like, oh, yes, we can talk about our herbs in this way that is more in harmony with a language that's metaphorical and poetic and feels more aligned with how plants work. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a really, anyone who hasn't come across it, Peter Holmes, The Energetics of Western Herbs. It's a really beautiful work that he's put together. And he's now actually just published recently the same kind of book about aromatherapy, like uh, using essential oils in internally in um, herbal medicine practice that's also it's not an area that I have much experience in but it's also pretty mind-blowing. No of course you wouldn't have too much experience in it because you know the TGA doesn't allow us to prescribe um, you know essential oils for internal use or recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Beautiful thanks for that recommendation I'll, I'll include that in the show notes about Peter Holmes as well just in case anyone's madly scrabbling for a pen right now (laughs) uh beautiful so yeah that's um that's a great depth of um you know experience and influences and uh i can see how they've shaped so much of like you know who who you are Uh, and i'm sure there's been many other teachers and experiences along the way as well there's also of course the plants themselves right they're the people who've taught me Hmm. but definitely san pedro has been really helpful at help at teaching me about plants um mugwort is a plant that has felt like a slightly scary teacher mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense like there's something quite potent and ominous about mugwort and I haven't always been sure if I've been ready to receive that that teaching but over the years when I have worked deeply with a plant you know in the way I guess that we do in the course that I run in the um I've it's becoming herbal allies course the finding your herbal allies that when you work with a plant with intention and over time and deeply then there's things about medicine and healing that you learn you know and I remember sitting years ago in the garden with the artichoke leaf and I was like all right I read all this stuff about like plant communication I'm just going to give it a crack like who knows and I was sitting with artichoke so that's what was in the garden of this house I was renting. And I was sitting there doing this meditation and trying to feel the sun and being all like, oh, am I even feeling anything? I don't know. And then I just had this thought pop into my mind around like bitterness and resentment. Like I was mm. thinking, wow, this plant, I was chewing some of the leaf and it was so bitter. Have you ever chewed fresh artichoke leaf? Mm-hmm. It's like it's being really whacking you over the head with the intensity of its bitterness. 
And I had this like, oh, it's so bitter. Oh, and this feeling of just like, oh, yeah, this is the almost embodiment of the bitterness and resentment that we can build up over our lives. And we hold on to things that don't work for us anymore, that have happened in the past, that we can't resolve and let go of. We, we get that bitter on the inside. And I had this really clear sense from the plant that, It's like, yeah, I help you release that bitterness and that resentment. I take it on because I am that bitterness. You don't have to be in. And then if you think about the way that it works on the liver and the gallbladder and how that maps across to Chinese medicine, ways of understanding anger and resentment and frustration, being in those areas, it kind of made sense. And so I think, yeah, I'd even put a point to artichoke leaf being a teacher because it was probably the first plant I had that experience of, of being like, oh, it actually just told me something about itself that I now use in the way that I use that plant. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's um it's it's funny when you can when you can stop and listen and then sometimes you don't realize you're listening. Like an, a recent example I had of that was uh in your um in your uh, uh online course that I recently did and I thought I wasn't connecting with the plant and um am I allowed to say what it was? Yeah. yeah. So uh, it was mugwort and I've always had mugwort like interestingly similar to what you're saying been quite um, you know I, I've been I've, I've very respected its power and been very wary of it and had it at kind of arm's length and, and at a safe distance like I'm going to grow you away from the house but I'm going to love you but give you away to other people and I've always kind of I had this like a massive respect but not been able to bring it close and never putting it in my body except for one time I had a tea and um, was like, oh, no, 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 I need to, I'm not ready for this yet. And so I've been working with it for many, many years, but never having taken it internally. And so then when I was doing your um, your online course and we did the, the mugwort herb, of course, we didn't know what it was. It's a mystery. Like we're journeying with a plant and we don't know what that plant is. And the very first time I put it in my body, my whole body went, no and like rejected it and it was like so strong like I felt started feeling anxious I was like oh no what what am I doing I'm putting something in my body my body's saying no but it was just my body remembering that that was the herb that I was saying I wasn't going to put in and so anyway I kept journeying with it and not noticing anything too much I thought I wasn't journeying with it until next thing I know I'm, I'm harvesting mugwort from the garden and making smudge sticks and having all of this mugwort mugwort was just in my mind and and I had no idea I was journeying with it every day and I was planning I was like yeah mugwort I've got to really like bring bring them back in, bring them into my life and start welcoming this plant into my body and start wor- working with it internally and getting to know it in this way and meanwhile I was doing that I had no idea And so it was, you know, the plant was influencing me and influencing my thoughts and influencing my actions without me even being aware. So, and that's what I meant by sometimes we're listening, we don't even realize we're listening. You know, the the plants can be so smart as teachers that they can just kind of get in there and be doing their, doing their magic and we can be completely oblivious to it. Um, Yeah. Unless we're fortunate enough to have our attentions drawn to it. So yeah, that's been my recent experience with mugwort. Thanks to you. I was so delighted when you sent me a photo of the mugwort smudge sticks that you were making. I was like, oh, that's apt. She doesn't know she's taking mugwort this week, but <laughs> that's the plan we're I'm, saying, I'm not even having a journey with this plan. Like I don't really know what I'm connecting with, like, but my body's rejecting it. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, plants as teachers first and foremost, right? Definitely. And um, and I love that that's something about your online offering as well with that, that that really connected me to that in a really different way of, um, you know, because the mind can really get in the way. But when you're journeying with a plant and you don't know what it is, 
then you're having to really actually open yourself up to its wisdom rather than what you think it should be. You know, I can be like, oh, I'm having calendula and the energy is like, it's got the energy of the sun and it's moon healing and I'm going to have, I can pretty much like predict and design my experience I'm going to have. But then if you actually remove the mind knowing Mm -hmm. and actually connect with it, then you can open yourself up to a whole different way. So yeah, you've opened up. And that's what I love about about the structure of the, the Herbal Allies course mm. because people are taking the herb without knowing what it is for a week and because in a group you get this experience yeah. of actually having your insight be confirmed and pretty much every single person has gone through this process with me and at the end come out and said, oh, I feel so much more confident in my ability to trust my intuition, Mm -hmm. to pay attention to my body, to pay attention to what a plant is telling me in a way that I just didn't think I would be able to develop, you know, because if you're taking the plant knowing what it is, as you said, there's a confirmation bias that happens. It's why in clinical research we do placebo controls, Mm -hmm. right? And and, and there's, there's power in being like, yeah, I'm taking calendula and that's the energy of the sun and really working with that energy intentionally. There's beauty and growth in that. But when when you're doing that, there's always a little hint of doubt. You're like, is this really happening or am I just wanting it to happen? Am I just looking for the confirmation that this plant Mm -hmm. works? Because in our culture, we are really working a lot of, against a lot of deep mythological uh, material to say that a plant not only can have a strong effect on our body and heal us but also that a plant has a kind of consciousness and that can engage in some form of communication with us that's Mm. really countercultural. and no matter how alternative a person you are we still are swimming in and emerging out of this very deeply rooted cultural landscape that tells us that the world around us is dead inert material and that only humans are agents of you know change and engagement Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's so true yeah and it's it's so I think that starting there starting with finding a way to develop this trust in your own ability to hear and to listen is Mm -hmm. such a good place to start in your herbal journey and also we need to go back to again and again you know like I definitely didn't get taught that at all in all of my studies Yeah, imagine if that was more integrated into the curriculum. In fact, I'm now all of a sudden a big advocate for you contacting the university and getting those kind of teachings put into the curriculum because it is so important because otherwise it's just it's a rote learning space if you're in that. Often I think that's kind of the feedback of what people struggle with coming out of that um, university or kind of institution environment is that it's like you're told this is the plant's properties, repeat after me. Okay, this is the plant's properties. I now know the plant's properties, but that's that's rote learning. That's just regurgitating information instead of actually like um, connecting to wisdom or connecting actually having your own discernment and being asked what are the what are the properties of this plant if you sit with it what what feel like the properties are going to be or when you put it in your body what does it feel like it's doing rather than just being told you know and so that that intuitive that whole the 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 realm of intuition and perceptiveness and being able to have our own discernment is like yeah, it's not in that institution, but imagine the power if, if this was woven in and we could have all of that academic, you know, clinical, um, like amazing honing of the mind, but also having the honing of the, yeah, of the, uh, you know, the wisdom, the wisdom and perceptivity. 
Totally. And I think what you're talking about there, there's a, there's a way that in, in our culture at the moment we mistake lots and lots of information for insight. You know, we think that if we get all the data, then we'll have wisdom about something. But there's like there's missing a step there, you know, and so the data is really useful. Information is a good step. But I like to think about these three spheres of knowing. And so we have the intellectual sphere or the mind, which is all the scientific data, all of the information, all the analysis. And that gives us the gifts of specificity and clarity which are really important, like the clarity, you know, when we're doing that journey with plants that we just did together and everyone's having their experience and we're sharing it, but then we're like, oh, and here's what the research says. And it, it clarifies what everybody was feeling and gives you the like specifics of how that works. Mm-hmm. Then you have the second sphere, which is the body, you know, and I think that's where a lot of the energetic language really sits well and flavor theory and even just, you know, all of the knowledge that people have accumulated over generations of working with herbs, that empirical, well, we've been using, you know, chase tree for polycystic ovarian syndrome and it seems to really be working. Like that kind of just lived practical experience that may not be based on any theory particularly is like mm. that body and also your own embodied experience of taking that plant. And then you have the third sphere, which is heart or soul. And I think of that as being like the imaginal realm and these ways of communicating with plants or the dreams or the psychedelic plants and how they open communication with plant beings. And I think that's the one that I'm definitely worst at. Like I haven't been trained in it. I haven't been supported culturally to do that, you know. But I've, I've been working with this idea in my head of these three spheres and in the place that they overlap, that's when we truly have wisdom. And you can, you can fill up the intellectual circle as much as you like, you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm a huge advocate for specificity, clarity and intellectual rigor, but it never fills up the other spheres, you know. It's only going to fill up that one mental bucket and it's when, when those three spheres are filled and being met that we can truly have wisdom and know a plan. Mm. Yeah, I love that mapping. That's a really great way of perceiving it. Yeah, and it's true, we're not culturally taught those skills. You know, we're fortunate if we get to travel to South America and peel for hours and hours and hours, cactus and be taught how to pray to the fire and have that as a, a basis of understanding the tactile, you know, have the really that slow way of learning. Mm. Um, yeah, so thank you for sharing all of that. And, um, yeah, I'd really love to hear about your experience of becoming a teacher and being a teacher um, because as we were discussing earlier, there's so many ways of being a teacher. I know that you've more recently stepped into uh, a certain kind of teaching with workshops and things like this, uh, but you've been teaching for a long time through, you know, designing education material for the Happy Herb Company and, uh, mm. you know, being, being things like market stalls or doing articles and just like you know there's so many ways and even like as a practitioner and having that educational element in your practice uh, you know there's so many ways that you're an educator so I would love to hear your experience of being an educator and and I suppose what what made you want to start teaching Mm. other people and what yeah what you get what you get from that experience and the benefits of that yeah I love it. I feel so connected to myself and to my heart spirit when I'm in a teaching space. Um, so that that always is a good impetus, you know. Like I, I really love it. I feel alive, and I love being in that. I love being in that collaborative discovery process. So when you're with a group of people or even one-on-one, that's what I love about doing these podcast interviews with people, right? Like there's this 
collaborative discovery that's happening in the place where your two minds meet. And that's why I love teaching in that way. I really enjoy bringing everyone's insight and knowledge into the space and finding a way to pull that together and find the golden threads, if you will, that have to weave through everybody's experiences. Um, yeah, and, and I think that I just learn so much from teaching as well. So it's something that's really gratifying for me. Um, because when I know that I am wanting to teach something, then I just, it's an, it's like an impetus to go really deeply with that for a long time to be able to feel like I have the, you know, capacity to teach, teach that topic. So I think the postpartum herbs was interesting for me, um, run that workshop a few times. And I think there's a few things, firstly, there's just not a lot of information about that in Australia. Like there's not a lot of herbal medicine for postpartum care and postpartum care is so important and herbs have played such a pivotal role in that throughout history. You know, it's like herbal medicine has so often been women's medicine. And so the midwives would have been uh, herbalists and healers and bringing that kind of insight. So there's a part of me where I'm trying to respond to the gaps that I see around me. And then I just got to spend like three months digging really deeply into postpartum herbs and then going through my own birth and postpartum journey and then using the herbs on myself and some of my friends and having that experience to then draw on to, to create that offering. I think without the invitation, sometimes for me having that like desire to fill a gap allows me to give myself permission to just go wild on that topic, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really nice. But, yeah, I think as well, as you said, um, I actually ran the head office of Happy Herb Company for about six years in a really big phase of growth and so the the company was growing really fast and when I started there were 10 shops and when I finished there were 50 and when I started there was no formal uh, there was no educational component of how the staff were being trained that was very much up to each individual uh, shop owner and shopkeeper and so I really got excited about the Happy Herb Company and those shops being a place where some of this kind of old world folk herbalism could be kept alive because people do come to those shops looking for education. They want information about plants. A lot of the time people come to those shops not knowing anything about herbal medicine and even being like, oh, what does all this stuff do? Does any of this work? You know, which I know you've worked in those shops. So you yeah, would I've worked in that. two of them. I know that, that, that very well. <laughs> And it's such an amazing opportunity when someone comes in like that because they're coming in being like, I'm really interested, but I want you to convince me. It just gets <laughs> exhausting. But I've so, you know, over the years, about five years ago, I did my first online course, which was a 12-month introduction to holistic herbal medicine for all the Happy Herb Shop staff around the country. And that was my first experience of creating a course and delivering it online and then having like lectures and group work and breakout rooms and tutorials and questions and videos and it was um it was a really beautiful experience and it felt really great to be like oh I get to kind of reach out to people at an earlier stage of their herbal journey with the teaching and the perspectives that I just wish I had at that point in my journey right mm-hmm yeah, that's often a motivational factor, isn't it? Yeah, coming from yeah. that place of I wish this was available, so I'm gonna I'm gonna create this or offer this so that other people yeah. get to experience what I didn't get to experience myself. Yeah. Yeah, and it would yeah. be so great to be 
participating in the development of the actual university level curriculums and be like, yeah, what would it be like to have all that science in there, but to come from a place of reverence and connection with the plants and not just learn about the plants, but meet the plants, you know, and use the plants to like support people in their own healing journey throughout that, their course and their degree. So they come out having that lived experience of working with those plants rather than just the brain bucket filled all the way, you know. Mm. Yeah, great. Yeah, so you've 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 had quite a quite a diverse array of different learning spaces, you know, that you that you've been offering. I'm kind of feel like I'm now waiting for a book or something <laughs> to come. But yeah, and then even just the podcast and everything that we get to learn from you through that platform as well is is really amazing and uh, yeah, all of the listeners are, are, are fortunate enough to get to have that as a free free opportunity to um yeah, get to learn from you which is really amazing. So, yeah, so like, yeah, obviously I think we both agree that uh, herbal education is really important, like that, you know, I at least feel that everyone should have a basic working knowledge of how to work with herbs for healing for themselves and their family. And um, it's definitely not, it's it's moving a little bit out of the woo-woo, out of the kind of alternative thing and, and becoming a lot more uh, socially acceptable, um, which is pretty exciting times to be in. And um, yeah, and, and it also excites me the idea of being able to uh you know get get in get in under the skin of the universities and maybe weave in some of these these elements of you know what we're talking about um so yeah i um i know that as you know i I really love to invite the people that come onto my segment to um to to weave the future with me to really like imagine Mm -hmm. what the future of herbal education could look like feel like smell like um you know sound Mm -hmm. like so you know what what is the what is more of the experience that you didn't get to have or what is the experience you'd love to see future generations getting to have when it comes to herbal education in Australia? I really love the vision of the elder tree, you know, like I'm maybe a bit biased, but I'm I'm only peripherally involved in the broader vision of what you're wanting to create around having a residential grassroots herbal education where it does involve growing herbs harvesting herbs preparing herbs working with herbs and learning about them I think that's really powerful and all of the subtle things that we learn in that space that aren't even explicitly taught are really important and definitely having done most of my qualification um online because it was, you know, which I was really grateful to be able to do because that was what made it possible for me to do it at that time of my life. Um, but there's all of this subtle kind of transmission that you're getting from teachers that I really missed out on. And so that living and working and growing and harvesting as, as a starting point, I think is really, really exciting. Uh, and I think that the colleges could really outsource like the first three months of the course could be in places like the Elder Tree or Goulds or places mm-hmm. where people can really do residential kind of, I guess, a version of what I was doing with Doris, like sit on the dirt in the sun and peel 50 metres of cactus and then sit there the next five days picking like spines out of your fingers, you know, <laughs> and that. There's, a, there's an aspect there of doing the hard yards with the plants, not just doing the hard yards with your books, right? And starting there would be so powerful and giving people experiences of using the herbs and preparing the herbs and 
imagine if the whole class when you were learning you spent oh, I think we've talked about this before actually as part of the vision for the curriculum the elder tree in the future imagine if you spent a month working with calendula and everyone was taking calendula and drinking it as tea and using it on their skin and giving it to their dog and growing it and harvesting it and making oil and then within that learning about the lymphatic system and learning about wound healing and how wound healing works you know you Mm. could weave in all of the biochemical pathophysiological and anatomical knowledge inside that framework but what that does is it prioritizes the plants as the most important thing and in our in our current way that we teach we're 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 subtly reinforcing the message that only science really knows and only by cutting up something into the tiniest parts of it its molecules that's when you really know about it you know Mm -hmm. and there's something very powerful that happens if we invert that emphasis Mm -hmm. that's what i would wish and even taking the emphasis off off the person and letting there be an equal emphasis with the plant, you know, because so much it would seem of like modern medicine um, is just focused on the gratification, the healing of the human. And, you know, instead of like, well, how's about that interplay, that mutual Mm -hmm. relationship between the plant and the human, Uh, you know, the, the, like we were talking about the, the information that can be shared there, but also the, the mutual healing and like the custodianship of those plants as well. So, cause when the education is all just on, what can we get, what can we get from the plant? What, what can the plant do for us? You know? Um, yeah. It really yeah. commodifies the plants. Mm. It takes away their participation in the, the healing process and makes them back into that inert matter that we can just extract and benefit from. Yeah. And then and then what that when we engage with plants like that, then herbal medicine becomes another aspect of the way that we're destroying the environment, you know, and the way that we're deepening our ecological sickness, both internally and externally. And that's really tragic because herbal medicine, in my mind, should be part of that reweaving of the human and the earth back together, Mm -hmm. which is so desperately needed, you know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just kind of you know mono monocropping farming whether you're monocropping herbs or monocropping wheat it's like it's still degradational to the land to be just planting mm-hmm. one species in in big you know big scopes and kind of cutting back whole ecosystems just to replace it with you know one or two species is really devastating to to the ecosystem and you know and even just the fact that what we kind of the decimation of wild wild harvested you know the 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 re- reduction in availability in a lot of other countries of like all these herbs that we're importing like rhodiola you know we've spoke spoke recently about rhodiola um you know journeying with that and and about how it's it's you know protected i think endangered possibly um and very hard to cultivate as well so yeah, it's been definitely coming up with a lot of people lately, that important part mm. of it. And and then that drives me even more to just to, to buy regional medicine and wanting to see people like learn in in their place. Because when you're learning from a teacher, even a teacher in another climate, their bioregional medicine is different to yours. So mm. when you're on the in a class with a university that's trying to cater to nationwide, that's not really um it's not really able to allow for your individual bioregion, you know. So Totally. Yeah. And I wonder as well whether there must be something where when you live in a certain climate and a certain environment that has certain, you know, in Melbourne, there will be certain kind of pollutants in the air and there's going to be a certain kind of uh, 
microbial life and that is happening in the soil around me that's affecting my health and so working with the plants that are growing locally is definitely going to be working with plants who know how to thrive in the environment that I'm living in you know Mm. that's not to say we that we can't use other amazing herbs from other places but there's definitely Oh, I think I'm really enjoying the, the the movement towards bioregional herbalism that I'm really seeing in a lot of our colleagues. You know, I know that like mm. Taj Sakluna is really talking about that a lot. And you talk about that. And um, Lily of the Herbs is really into bioregional herbalism. I'm just seeing it pop up so much more. I don't I don't think I even knew that term five years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you knew the concept of using plants that grew re- grew around the area that you live. But the fact that there's even a name for it, bioregional herbalism, <laughs> It gives it, it means people are talking about it enough for it to warrant its own name. Yeah, I find that yeah. exciting. And there's, it it's kind of goes against the trend that's been around for a long time, which is that the more exotic a plant is, then the more interesting it is and the, the more it's bound to work. Mm. You know, like ashwagandha is going to be so much better than chamomile. Mm-hmm. Like it has a fancy name. We don't really know much about it. Your your mum never made it for you as a kid, you know. And saying that that's been going on for a long time. Like yeah. even in the 1700s in Europe, when and the 1600s, when once the um, discoverers and colonizers had gone to the Americas and they were hungry for medicinal plants, it was one of the biggest trades, like gold mm-hmm. and plant medicines, and. They were being sold and promoted as like, oh, sarsaparilla will just do everything, you know. It was, and people were ignoring the local medicines and going for these exotic plants. So it's so nice to see that trend start to come back. And I think something else you were saying, we you know before about it taking the f- focus off just being about what the humans can get out of a plant medicine when we prioritize plants as the as our learning place and our learning structure. Mm. I know that um, Stephen Harrod Buna has, in I think it's the Lost Language of Plants. It towards the end he just has like one chapter about how plants, um, medicinal plants, are also medicines for the other species and the soil and the earth. And I think it was plantain he was talking about. I feel a bit fuzzy, but plantain makes sense. Popping up after a fire all over the land, and he was talking about the way that plantain was healing the land of the fire because plantain of course is very soothing and demulsant it's great for burns right I know you work with plantain a lot Mm -hmm. and that actually was like it's not that I'd never considered that but it, it really opens up something for me and I was like of course of course I'm being so anthropocentric in thinking that these medicine plants they grow just for us you know like their their divine purpose is to heal humans but they're just really offering their medicine into into the fabric of life of which we are a part and so of course they're healing for the soil and the land and the trees and the bees and the birds and the humans that's just how we do it you know plants are infinitely generous Mm -hmm. and they're such um they're such good teachers of relationship right because so many beings interact with plants they might seem like they're really sedentary and still but they're interacting with so many different beings in this really generous relational way and I'd love I would love to learn more about that you know yeah that's something I think that would be really great to learn of in your herbal medicine journey like what how does a how does a plant play a role in all the ecosystems and relationships it's with not just humans Mm. yeah I think about that quite a lot like almost every day I think about the war on weeds and, um, you know, this kind of 
this way of seeing um, these aggressive plants that come into the ecosystem because you know if you were if you were just in a forest that was an un, like a a forest that hadn't been mutilated and cut down and had all these things done to it and if you scattered plantain seeds throughout that forest it would it would maybe just pop up a little bit here and there it would just find its place in that ecosystem if it was meant to be there if it wasn't meant mm-hmm. to be there they just it wouldn't thrive it wouldn't sprout it wouldn't thrive but if it did pop up it wouldn't be aggressive it wouldn't be a you know a weed um, but yet if you go in and you um, disrupt a, an area and disrupt the ecosystem um, in like quite a damaging way and then sprinkle out these seeds then then some of them are going to become seemingly aggressive in the short term but then in the bigger picture in the long term of what the work that they're doing um, yeah is really important and and that's why when when I talk about bioregional medicine I'm more referring to the weeds even though working knowing knowing native medicine and um, um, to your area and connecting with that is really, um, really profound and important. But for me, with my European ancestry, I love connecting with all of the weeds that are, um, you know, healing the ecosystem around me. That pe- you know, so many people are like, "Oh, this region in particular is terrible for the the, the trucks just go along with this big spray thing and it looks like a fire hose with the, you know, um, the weed killer in it, the glyphosate killer in it, and just like." <laughs> just spray whole like all the way down the sides of the roads it's really full-on very different to down in victoria with the spot spraying but anyway Mm. they just they just annihilate it and um but it just will return time and time again because it's got a job to do and um yeah and i just love i just love working with that medicine that's um it's it's intelligent it just knows where it's meant to be it knows where it's needed and um yeah we could be working with that rather than like working against what's happening you know that they're actually there we should be saying thank you that you're coming to kind of fix some of this damage that we've done you know uh, i often wonder this got a collar running going all through the lawn i'm like what is your place in all of this like are you just wanting to replace this grass so that this grass just isn't just this mono you know shallow rooted mono crop of on the lawn you know like what what is your place in this got a collar like and i don't there's so much to be learnt there about what what these herbs, like you say, what mm. these herbs are actually doing on the landscape, like whether they're helping with water retention, whether they're replenishing certain things in the soil because, yeah, like you say, they're medicine not just for us, they're medicine for the land and medicine for the animals as well. So, yeah, I feel like there's still so much to be learnt around all of that as well. I think if we learn about, you know, what that Godukola is doing for the, the environmental challenges right where you are then we'd also learn a lot about how that would work in a human body we'd have new insights Mm. on how that works for us Mm -hmm. yeah that's so true there's a there's a beautiful uh story that i read um actually a anthropological paper when i was studying um anthropology at university of queensland a long time ago i had this amazing teacher john bradley that was actually another mind-blowing moment. I did a course with him called Ethnoecology. Basically, basically the whole subject was around how do Indigenous Australians, primarily the Yanua people who he had lived with for 15 years, how do they understand an ecology and relate to the human ecological relationship, right, Mm. that interaction, which powerful thing to spend a whole semester learning at uni, you know, that university level. And there was this paper that he'd written that still sticks in my mind and it was called Cane Toads Have Stories Too. (laughs) 
And growing up in far north Queensland, you know, cane toads are a real problem. They're a pest. They're awful. And I got taught that they were bad and that they were a problem and we'd brought them here and it was up to us to kind of keep them under control. And there was this beautiful story that John was telling in this paper where um, there was a program in the Yanyu in like near Darwin, Northern Territory, that the ecological people were trying to wipe out cane toads and the Indigenous elders were so upset and they were like, what are you doing? Don't you know cane toads have stories too? And what, what their point was, it's like, yes, they were introduced and yes, but then a lot of the frogs have died partly because of the cane toads, you know, and then the cane toads were holding a story and for them the story of the cane toads was resilience. They're the only thing that can jump out of a bushfire alive you know and if you I know you live in far north Queensland they're tough little buggers you know mm-hmm. they are staunch <laughs> yeah. and so for the indigenous people then the song and the story that that cane toad carried the message was about resilience in the face of extreme hardship and environmental degradation and that was such a shifting point in my brain of being like, oh, I've always been told that weeds are bad and invasive species are bad and we should exterminate them and gave me an insight into what it would be like to live in the kind of relationship with the earth where I don't feel like it's up to me to make a judgment about what should and shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thanks for sharing that story. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was thinking as well of what you were saying about, you know, if you observe plants, uh, what they're doing, the ecology, then you can probably learn a lot about what they do for the body. And I, I had to laugh just inside myself now because I was thinking about how, you know, uh, plantain, what the native, native uh, Indigenous Native Americans uh, term for plantain was is um, uh, white man's footsteps because everywhere that white man was walking, the plantain was springing up because when there's like disrupted ground and like compacted ground and a ground that's exposed, it just wants to cover that. And mm-hmm. um was thinking about how important that is because like soil is not meant to just be um, unless you're in the desert or something like soil is not meant to be, just be exposed like that suddenly, you know, it's meant to have all the layers and the cover and everything. And, and I was thinking about how plantain covers, you know, covers the ground and protects it with this moist layer. And, and it's like also what it does for all of our, our skin and all of our membranes inside and outside of our body is like coating it in this protective layer um, for, you know, especially like protecting it from like the heat, like, or, you know, cooling it down and just um, like, and it's just funny because I just uh, thinking of all the places I can see plantain growing. It's like, that's what it's doing is this is creating this cooling blanket of like protection mm-hmm. and mucolage and then breaking down and, you know, renewing the soil. And yeah. So yeah, thanks for that. I'm, I'm going to really like sit with that and, and observe a lot more. Hmm. Yeah, I've been loving your plantain oil that you gave me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> in this uh, cold, dry Melbourne winter, my mm. skin gets very dry. And so I've been putting it underneath my moisturiser and I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like that's that's the thing as well. It's not just bioregional medicine, what grows in your area. It's also like bioregional healing, what you need due to your climate. You know, I've been really thinking about this a lot, particularly this past couple of weeks because I'm um, working a couple of days a week in a health food shop here and um, and and there's just been massive, so many people coming in for fungal um, yeasty things, fungal things, mold situations like and um, 
and you know we've just had like the longest wet season I've ever seen up here and like it's damp it's you know I'm in the misty mountains and it's damp it's it's like breeding ground for fungus and so you know uh, and it's wet and it's like what constitutionally what we need in the medicine what we need as well is like very different to like dry cold you know, down in, in temperate climate down there, which, you know, isn't always dry when it's, you know, wet and cold. It's, yeah, it's just different kind of constitutions that it's brewing and different uh, health conditions that, that arise out of that. And, yeah, and it's, again, a lot of that gets lost if we're learning, if we're doing online national level learning and we're not having enough kind of face-to-face teachers as well in our climate. So, yeah, I'm weaving my my wishes into your wishes as well for the future of like what I'd like to see, just there being more face-to-face teachers teaching about bioregional medicine and bioregional healing in all, you know, mm. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd love to get a large enough group of people in the Melbourne region to do the Plant Allies course face-to-face. Mm. Actually, my, my idea would be to run one group online that could tap into the whole um you know, national sphere of people who are interested in doing that work, but then also have a face-to-face Melbourne group where everyone met in person and we could do a plant meditation in person and -hmm. have that more embodied experience. That would be really special. I would love that. Um, Yeah, I would also love to hear like any, what's in the pipeline for you, like what what Mm. you've got going on currently and uh, what you've got coming up. Aside from that, awesome Plant Allies face-to-face course. Sounds exciting. Yeah, so the Plant Allies, our Herbal Allies, still still emerging. Um, I'm running the course again uh, starting on the 15th of August. So it will run for six weeks. And as we said, it's an experience where you go uh, with through through a journey with a group of about around 12 people, depending on, you know, might go up to 15, might be as low as 10. And I really like that small group environment because it gives everyone a lot of chance to share in the space and to workshop things, which I think is really important online learning. And over that six-week period, you journey a series of one-week plant dietas, essentially, where you're journeying with a herb blind for a week with a guided meditation practice and a reflection practice that you're meant to be doing every day, and then come back and everyone shares their experience, and then we learn what the herb is and do a really in-depth class about that plant for everything from the scientific research to the energetics and the personality of that plant and ending with a guided meditation. So it's a really beautiful deep dive into a small handful of plants and I choose plants that are known to have a really powerful effect on mood and mind I think that's an area we all could be learning more about herbs in that's the area I'm really passionate about but of course anything that's going to fix your mental health will also be engaging with the liver and digestion and blood flow and all these things right they're never just one area but that's just what I'm working with so that's starting on the 15th of August and I'm just opening that up tomorrow uh, live on my website Um, and I'd love to offer all of the Elder Tree podcast listeners a 10% discount code so I'll I'll send that code through to you and you can pop it in your show notes beautiful Um, yeah that'd be really beautiful we had a few podcast listeners last time so that was Mm -hmm. that was special so I'm doing that in August and I will possibly be doing it again in February and I have a vision for um, an advanced three-month version of that ending with a one-week retreat so a kind of plant listening initiation so to do that one you would have had to do uh, the level one already 
and that will be happening next year. And the other thing that's coming up is that in October, I believe, November, I'm running a three-day retreat with a beautiful medicine facilitator friend of mine um, in Melbourne, near Melbourne, called Reawakening to the Sacred. And that's all about like lots of deep ecology for plant connection work, um, ecstatic dance, ritual, uh, different plant journeys. So that's that's definitely in formation and hasn't been announced anywhere, but I'm really excited about that one. It'd be nice to do an immersive experience. Oh, wow. I'm really excited about that. Book me in straight up. <laughs> sounds great. Awesome. Yeah. It all sounds amazing. And I'm, I'm really excited about wait for a book months. too. <laughs> Funny you should say that because this week I did start writing an outline for just a short ebook that basically <laughs> my vision there is just to give a download of the what I've learned about kind of plant listening work. So this work that we've been doing in this course and how to structure a process where you can experience that type of plant attunement and listening to your body and listening to the plant. I think that the more that we can share that information, the stronger we'll become as a community of herbalists and healers. I think it's Mm. so important for everyone. If you are a herbalist, whether you are a student or you're a home herbalist, or you've been practicing for 20 years, we have to keep coming back to speaking to the plants Mm. because they have some really important things to be sharing with the world right now. And we are the ones who can carry that message and have the best shot at attuning ourselves to be really receptive and open to hear that message and let it act through us on the world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm feeling really, really passionate about sharing what I've learned so far in my journey of plant listening and plant attunement. So I'm putting that, I'm in process of putting that together into a short ebook. Well, that's exciting. Stay tuned, listeners. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah, literally this week I started. So I was just, I was <laughs> feeling it. Like as soon as we jumped on this call today, I was like, I feel like there's a book hanging around here. Like <laughs> so I'm waiting to be birthed. <laughs> Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, I think that's about all that we have time for today. Um, Before we go, though, is there anything that you feel like you might like to share with the listeners? Keep on, keep on working with plants. You know, this is how, this is how we learn. It's how we do the practice of herbalism, making herbal things, sharing them with our friends, practicing in clinic, taking the herbs, growing them, whatever way that we can engage with the plant world, I think is all healing. Mm. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. So nice to have you on here today. And um, yeah, it's great. I just love talking with you about all this stuff. And it's really nice to think that all of our amazing listeners will get to have an insight. And um, yeah, thanks for coming on here today and for having me on your beautiful segment as well. And thanks for all of your beautiful offerings and the ways that you've inspired me as a teacher as well. Yeah, I look forward to your first online course coming soon. (laughs) All right. Bye, Steph. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for listening to the Herbal Education segment of the Elder Tree podcast. Stay tuned every new moon as I interview amazing and inspiring herbal educators from around Australia. To find out more about The Elder Tree, you can go to our website, which is theeldertree.org. And through our website, you can subscribe to our mailing list. You can also follow our journey on Instagram and on Facebook. Thank you again so much and have a most wonderful day.